Okay, so it's a funny thing about relationships, about how we kind of have this different kind of um, interaction with the idea of relationships. We know they're important. We definitely know. I mean, even where it comes to Facebook, we say our relationship status, it kind of is one of the very first things that you look at. And I don't know if that's because of Facebook stalking or what exactly it is, but it's a funny thing how in some ways we elevate relationships and then in other ways we minimize how important they are. But I want to just kind of give you something that maybe you haven't thought about, maybe you have. But you know, in our world and in our society, if you really screw up, you get prison. You get thrown into prison. And now I know I'm not here to talk about the death penalty or anything of that nature, but you get thrown into prison if you have kind of transgressed against the law of society. But think about this for just a moment. If you screw up in prison, what do you do? Where do you go? They put you into solitary confinement. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. Solitary confinement is where they put you if you've screwed up among the screw-ups. Now, why is that? Because the truth of the matter is, is that we know that if you deprive yourself of relationships, if you deprive yourself of that human interaction and that connection, there is something that breaks on the inside of you and on the inside of me. That's part of whenever I began this church so many years ago, part of what I always wanted is I always wanted our church body to be one where you could find a face that you would look forward to seeing, where you would find somebody who is anxious to shake your hand. I mean, talk about back in the old days when you could actually shake hands and give people hugs, right? I mean, those kinds of things that we wanted to be a part of our church DNA because we know how important it is to be a person who comes out of solitary life and gets connected with other people. In solitary confinement, cruel and unusual on a podcast called Stuff You Should Know. The episode all the way back in 2017, it talks about some of the uh, things that happen if you are a person who gets thrown into solitary confinement. It's an interesting thing. They say that about 50% of the jail suicides or prison suicides happen to people who are in or have been in and spent significant time in solitary confinement. Something on the inside of you just breaks as you break with other people. That's why it's so important that we do relationships and build our relationships stronger than we used to because it is so vital. Now, let me just be very clear. If you go to this next slide, you'll see that Pelican Bay Prison in California, they surveyed and did a little study and did a little digging about what happens to people who have been in solitary confinement. And here's what they found. They found that people in solitary confinement, even after they're out of it, it's not just simply when they're there, but afterwards they struggle with depression. They struggle with apathy. They struggle with anxiety. They struggle with panic attacks and paranoia and fixations. And let me just kind of see, there's a little note there on a footnote. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. They even deal with hallucinations and hypersensitivity to stimuli. You disconnect from people and relationships that encourage and nourish you. These are the things that flood in and take their place. Now, they were talking in that podcast and they said the fixations, like literally you would see people in solitary confinement who'd have a, a bolt over on the ground over there as a part of the, the building or something, but they would just fixate on that bolt. There's something wrong with that bolt. There's, there's just something wrong with that bolt. And they would just go on and on and on and they'd spend these huge amounts of time fixated on something that mattered, not one single iota, but it became a fixation for them. Because, as they had that discussion in the podcast, there was no one to talk you off the ledge, basically. That's the wording that he used. And so the idea here is, is that if you don't have relationships, you can become fixated on something and nobody's there to speak into your life and say, you know what? You're giving way too much thought to this. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I love my wife for so many reasons, but one of the best things that she ever does for me is she'll just go by and she'll say, you know what? You're getting yourself all worked up about something that could be totally nothing at all. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. 
You are right. And so when she does that for me, she talks me back from the ledge of doing something silly or getting something in my mind that robs and steals my joy. I won't even ask you. You know what? I'm going to ask for you to say amen in the chat because you know exactly how easy it is to get fixated on the foolish little things that go on. You know, who didn't like my post or who didn't like my, or who gave me a thumbs down on something, you know, all of this stuff. I'm desperate for your affirmation. Give me an amen, right? Come on, amen in the house, right? You can get fixated on stuff. You need somebody to grab you by the back of the neck and say, no, 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 man, you're just thinking about this way too much. How does that happen? Not only is the spirit of God able to do it, but most of the time we listen to our own voices in our own minds and we don't have that thing unless we are in relationship with other people. They come by and they pull us back from the ledge. It is so very important. Now here's your something to learn that I want to talk a little bit about today about this passage of scripture. If you remember last week we talked about Jeremiah and how he was a very very young prophet and yet God sent him as a prophet uh, to his people. Now today I want to talk a little bit about some verses of scripture that Eric read a moment ago from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes is a book that is written by Solomon, and he is considered by many people to be the wisest man who ever lived. And Solomon, the way that he became so wise was that he asked God for wisdom. And by the way, in his own writing, he said in the book of Proverbs, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. In other words, if you and I lack wisdom, and what is wisdom? Wisdom is just simply this. It's knowledge rightly applied. It's things that you know and applied to the situations that help you. The things that you know keeping you from making the same mistakes twice. It's knowledge rightly applied. It's wisdom. And here's what happened. As Solomon was coming into the place where he would take his father David's throne and he would lead the children of Israel, he said, you know what, this is too big of an experience for me. It's too big of a responsibility and I'm not capable of meeting the challenge. I lack. I'm not enough. I need help. God appeared to him in a dream and he said, Solomon, what is it that you would have me to give you? And most people would have said, well, here's what I want. I want, I want the, the victory over all my enemies, so at least I'll have peacetime. Or he could have said, just make me rich, Lord. If, if I've got enough money, I can solve all the problems. I'm sure none of us would ever ask for either one of those two things, right? But here comes Solomon, and he says, Lord, how in the world am I, a young man, going to set aside the way that we should go? How am I going to make those decisions without your help? Please give me wisdom because I just am not equal to the task. And God says, Solomon, because you have asked for this instead of victory over your enemies or instead of the financial gain that many kings desperately want, I'm going to give you victory over your enemies I'm going to give you gain like you would not believe, and I'm going to give you wisdom so that nobody will be able to compare to you. And he imparted to him Solomon's wisdom. You've heard that term. And even today, they talk about in non-Christian circles, in trials, they talk about some of the wise rulings that Solomon did when he was a judge for the nation of Israel. And so just understand that Solomon found this wisdom because he was too young. Isn't it interesting that Jeremiah, who was too young, and isn't it interesting that Solomon was too young, but both of these men used greatly by God, because here's what I found. I found that what we're doing when we are very young is we are making decisions and choices that often have ramifications for the rest of our lives. I want to talk about relationships today in light of that. I'm going to be talking some about marriage relationships, but I'm going to focus instead more so on friendships. And maybe if you're single, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that you can look for if you're choosing to go forward in a different way and in a different relationship. If you go back to the things that we talked about in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, it's up here on the screen. This is what Solomon said. I saw something that was meaningless under the sun. There was a man who was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. And then he goes on and he says, two are better than one. So as we look at this passage of scripture, he's not talking about a marriage relationship. And I want to be very clear about something. If you're a Christian 
If you're a person who is here, but you're not married, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're single, maybe you're somebody who's never been married, maybe you're a person who is not interested at all in being married, or maybe you're anywhere along the spectrum of where you have kids or you have kids that have left the house, or now you're raising your own grandkids. Any of these things could be happening, but here's what I would share with you. There's clearly a relationship that Solomon is talking about that has nothing to do with marriage. You can be absolutely squarely in the very center of God's will, but not have a spouse. I want to be very clear about that because the truth is, is that sometimes we as Christians, we make it bad for a person to not have a spouse. And we say, well, this isn't a good thing. They should eventually get married. And so you want to, you know, kind of push them to do something that they may be not ready to do. I've been guilty of this in my own life, maybe even this morning, and I beg your forgiveness. You know who you are. I'm not looking at you, but you know exactly who you are. I know I'm a horrible person who did the very thing that I'm preaching against, right? Here's the deal. Here is the truth. The truth of the matter is, is that when it comes to relationships, you allow God to lead you and direct you in those things. It is so important. This book that I've been talking about, about relationship goals, it's up here on the screen. You can get that via Audible, Amazon Prime. You can even get an ebook from Fort Bend County Library. It's really, really well rated. It's got a lot of things in there that you could take away, and it is a blessing. Now, very quickly, if you look at the main principle that we talked about last week, we'll be talking about this this week as well as last week. The main principle, the very first one, is something that might have kind of thrown you for a loop, but we value God's purpose in our life over any person. That might have bothered some of you. You're like, well, I'm a parent, I got to watch out for my kids. I got to be a good father. Well, let me ask you a question. Who do you think gave you those kids in the first place? Like the truth of the matter is, is that we should value the giver, not the gift. We should value the giver and not the gift. The truth is, is that God has created you and I to be fathers and mothers, to be friends, to be sons and daughters, to be individuals who are in a spousal relationship, husbands and wives, or in a dating relationship, boyfriend or girlfriend. But whatever that relationship is, it should always take a back seat to the God who gave all of those things to you. As much as I love my family, as much as I love my extended family, as much as I love my wife and my daughters, the truth of the matter is, is that the very first relationship that I have to be careful that I maintain is the relationship from God to me. And here's the amazing thing that I can promise you with all of my heart. If you will keep this relationship good, the vertical one, then all the horizontal ones will fall into place. I have yet to see a man who'd say, you know what, I'm going to give my whole heart to God and do so in the way that most of us are going to do to find himself at a place where, you know what, I gave my heart to God, but now I'm a worse father. You know, I gave my heart to God, but now I'm a, a worse wife than I was before. Never seen it happen. If that happens, let me know and you'll be my first. But the truth is, is I don't think that's going to happen because God has found, he's found a way that if we grow closer to him, he draws all these other relationships and multiplies their value and their worth. Now, very quickly, you remember last week that Jeremiah was told by God, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That means that God has a purpose for your life. I even shared with you last week how I had to talk with my wife, Shelly, before we got married and find out if she was interested in being a preacher's wife. The reason I had to do that was because I was pretty sure that the Lord was calling me to be a preacher. And if she was not the person who wanted to go on that journey with me, I had to make a decision. Now, I've never really talked about this with anybody because the truth is, is that she had no hesitation. She was 100% behind it. But the truth of the matter is, is that if she had said no, I would have had to reevaluate our relationships. Two years of time that I had a good time, enjoyed it, falling in love with a beautiful person and a wonderful lady. But if God is calling me to do something else and she's not willing to go along, and if I've heard clearly from God then maybe this isn't the relationship that I need to be involved in. The truth is, is that I value God and his purpose for my life over any person that he brings into my life. Because can I tell you something? People will come and go in your life, but God's purpose remains upon you. 
This powerful message from Jeremiah 1 is, is that even before you were born, I had a purpose for you to accomplish in your life. And if you say, well, so it doesn't really matter who I marry then, man, you are missing the boat. If it doesn't really matter who I hang out with and you know, spend all of my days and time with, man, you are so wrong. You're, you've got to place value on these relationships. They are the things that will encourage you or cost you. Let's go to this next slide very quickly, and I want to keep moving here. But I want to remind you that life tries to label you, but Christ has identified you. Before you're a wife, a husband, a mommy or a daddy, a business owner, a graduate, a daughter, son, athlete, you had an identity and that identity was the one who created you. He's the one who signed the portrait. He's the one who said that's what he or she has been created for and it is about you. God says, I'm called. He says, I'm loved. He says, I'm significant. He says, I'm forgiven. Thank God for that. He says, I'm his masterpiece, which I don't always see that. But I am according to him, and I trust him more than I trust me and my feelings. He says that I'm his child. Identity can only be given by God. If you've ever tried to find identity from someone else, you know eventually it goes away and eventually it rings hollow. It is that God-shaped hole we talked about. Let me just keep going here very quickly. I would say this. You can definitely think to yourself, well, I'm not a person who knows how to build friendships. I don't do relationships easily or well. I want to talk to you just very, very quickly about how you can become a person who does good in relationships. It's actually possible. It's actually not even that hard. And so it's not just friendships, but I'm thinking to myself how I had certain things going on when my kids were kids. And then as they grew to be tweens, it changed. And then they grew to be teens, it changed. And then as they've grown and left my house, it's changed again. I, I talked to you guys last week about how long Shelly and I have been together. I mean, when you've married somebody that you've been with for 30 years of marriage, you change over 30 years. You just do. Circumstances change. Callings change, life changes, circumstances, all of this stuff just constantly evolving. And if you don't stay connected, you can drift. How do you get good at relationships? Let me just talk about that very quickly. There's an old saying, maybe you've heard it, that you can draw more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. Have any of you guys ever heard that statement before? That's an old school, old statement. Jerry Lewis said, yeah, but you get them to work harder if you lose a fly swatter, which I thought was pretty funny, right, if you're dealing with your children, right? Uh, okay, don't, don't hold me, don't turn me into, you know, child protective services on that. But anyway, if you are a person who wants to reach out to someone, but you don't know how, you don't feel the confidence, can I just tell you something? Most people want to be around people who make them feel good about themselves. I wish it weren't that way. That's not always the easiest thing to do. But if you're a person who wants to reach out to somebody, be that person that encourages be that person that compliments. Be that person that is kind. Be that person that is excited. There are even studies that show whenever you come into the room, if your eyes light up and, and you can see like this brightness come into your eyes, you can even see it sometimes when people, they're unexpected and they're, they're like this face. Now, I, I'm asking Shelly to do that every single time I walk into a room over 30 years. She's probably not quite at 85%, which I think she should work on that personally. I don't think I'm asking too much. It's not too much to ask. Here's the truth. It's not the way that it is. For most of us, we're like, oh, it's you. Oh, it's all right. Oh, it's you. Or even worse, we can be you know, kind of having this scowl. But if you are a person who's constantly needing to reconnect with your child, I'm giving you gold here. Whenever they walk into the room, Hey, it's good to see you. Light up. Be kind. Say, man, you look good. You, have you done this? Have you changed that? Like this is the way that you make a connection. You build a bridge. You find things to compliment them upon. And there's an old book that some of you guys are old enough to remember. Any guys remember Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Any of y'all? If you were old, old school in business, you 
knew this book because this was like the, the Bible for businessmen, especially for salespeople. But he said something in that book that is so valuable. Listen, if you're a person, maybe you're a teenager and you're like, man, nobody likes me. Nobody wants to be my friend. I can't make friends at school. Or you're saying, you know what? I'm looking for a way to make friends. How do I do that? Here's what he says. You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. It is absolutely true. And so if you are looking at your kids and you're like, man, I don't, I don't even know who they are anymore then you had better roll up your sleeves and get real interested in what they're interested in. Because if you don't, they'll keep drifting and you'll look around and you'll go, where are my kids? <laughs> like, I don't even see them anymore. They're like, not even in my rear view mirror. I can't even see them. They're so far gone. The truth is, is you can make a connection when you start asking them about what they like, what's going on in their world. When that happens, you make that connection by connecting with them that way. Now, I'm just going to put this up. I know this is crazy. How many of y'all remember Pokemon back in the day? Y'all remember, a few of y'all are old enough to remember Pokemon. Anybody in the house would actually admit y'all were into Pokemon when you were a kid back there? Is Pokemon still a thing? I have no idea. Is it still a thing? Some of you are like, yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right. Very cool. Are y'all into Pokemon? No? All right. All right. All right. Here's the deal. When my kids were growing up, Guess who could sing the theme song from Pokemon? This guy right here. You know why I did that? I'd be walking through the room, and I would start singing the theme song, and they'd start singing with me, and we made a connection. Now, ask me how much I cared about Pokemon back then in the day. Zero. Not at all. You know why? I don't care about the cartoons and stuff. That's just not my thing as a person who is of that age. So why did I know the theme song? A, it's ridiculously catchy. Okay, but B, I cared about my kids. I cared about what they cared about. So when I learned the Pokemon theme song, it wasn't so I could sing the theme song for any of you people, and I'm not doing that. I don't care how many people in the chat say, Pastor Randy is awesome, let's hear him sing the Pokemon theme. It's not going to happen. But here is the truth. I cared about Pokemon because I cared about my kids. What are your kids into? What are your friends into? If it's not something that's unholy or wrong or whatever, get into it with them. It doesn't mean you have to be great at the video game they care about. It means that you need to know a little bit about it and you can ask them questions and let them educate you about it. And you might even find yourself wandering in your mind going, what, what have I gotten myself into? I don't care. You don't care about the thing that is bringing you into relationship, connection, but you care about that person. Let's be very clear. It's a means to an end. Now, I can tell my kids that now. Because they're old enough to know. But I didn't look at them and go, you know, sweet child of mine, um, I am doing this because this really just means to an end. I don't really care. You don't do that. But you just clearly use the tools that you have and say, I've got to find a way to build this bridge to a connection to my child, to my parents. And folks, it can be hard to do that with your parents as they get older. Because their world is growing smaller, where they used to go and do and involved in so many other things. As that shrinks, it can be harder and harder to find things to connect over. But you find them because they're important people. They're the relationships that nourish. They're the roots in your life. Do those things not because it's easy, but because it's valuable. It's because it, it's, it's wings in your life. Those are the things that relationships do. Now, let me just show you very quickly a mini movie here. Just check this out. It's about how do and you our love. our first date, this is what was so unique. Our first date was um, my grandmother had died. So we went to the wake. We went to the that was our of, first date. Yeah, yeah. She went with me. Hey, hey, that's how you find out. She's real. You go with me, my family, you love me.
I love her song on my heart. I write songs and they touch her heart. Ready, go. <laughs> Wounds in my heart. Done. Okay, we're done. One of my favorite things that Andy does is uh, dance. Don't start that dun to dun. Don't start that dun to dun. So that's something that we kind of bonded. It's never been on. I can always be myself with her. She's not judging. I can dance horribly and she'll still love me. Started from the bottom, now I'm here. What? <laughs> if uh, I go to dinner with my wife and I don't have my teas in, <laughs> years, ago, years ago that would have bothered me. Today it doesn't bother me a bit. To describe her is... Uh, Are you gonna cry? I don't think I'm gonna cry, but... Uh, we can make trying to show somebody that we love them really difficult when it's just really simple. And she just tells me she loves me. If I'm doing something wrong, she's going to call me out on it. She doesn't just smile and say, oh, great, Kimber, and then talk yeah. to other people about it and say, wow, I don't think that she should be doing that. People look at the big things, and really it's more about the small things. I think that keep people together. Just little things that just get you and can get couples in such a, a tight moment. The vinegar represented those. But then it came with the honey. And when you taste that honey, after tasting that vinegar, wow, the vinegar taste is gone. You kind of can think back to that and just says, but the honey, our love, will outstand all those bitter moments. His selflessness has taught me to care for others in another capacity that I haven't really experienced yet. I want to live my life more like that. Don't have the spats or anything that you might think of when you're younger. She really makes it a point to like have Christ's love show through her no matter where she is. I don't think I really honed in on that until I became friends with Kimber. I've been learning things that uh, about myself and about her and just kind of getting a chance to share your life with someone else is pretty awesome. We've been married 53 years. Uh, when we first got married, you think you're in love. I would, I would say that after 53 years, I'm more in love with her now than I was then. That's how I feel about her. Love? Yes. I do love you. I know. I do. You're welcome. And our first date, this is what was so unique, our first so good, we're going to watch it twice. So we are to the big idea. And here is the big idea. I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about it, and then I'm going to ask you to say it with me. But here's the big idea. Choosing a relationship is choosing a destination. So you got to be wise, and you got to be aware of that. Let's talk about that for just a quick second. You actually already intuitively and instinctively know this, and here's how. You know how? Because you say to somebody, you know, I don't even know where in the world I would be if I didn't have you as a part of my life. Relationships are choosing a destination. You've got to be wise and you've got to be aware of that fact. It is so important and valuable. I want to be very clear about something. I want to talk about two different things here. One of them being a marriage relationship which I believe is one that you keep and hold on to and you do not leave unless there's some very, very extreme circumstances going on. And then you have other relationships in your life. And I want to talk about them in two different ways. This one is a relationship that you have promised to the Lord to keep as a part of your life as much as you possibly can according to you forever. But this one over here is a relationship, maybe a friendship, maybe a dating relationship that you've had for a little while. You need to be very much aware. I told my girls over and over and over again, be very careful if you're in a relationship that the next thing just doesn't become getting married and you find yourself saying yes to something that you don't believe is the Lord's will because relationships have momentum. They take you from place A to B. And sometimes it's, you spend all this time, so I guess the next logical step is let's get married. Well, I don't believe that, and I think it's something that we got to be very careful against. Because 
Choosing a relationship is choosing a destination. You just got to make sure that you're choosing one that you want to end up at. And if you are not aware of it, you can always end a relationship in just these normal, not marriage, but normal relationships. You can always pull back from those, create distance, or even end them if they're taking you in the wrong direction. And sometimes it does. So I'm going to say the big idea one more time, and then I'm going to ask you guys to join me. But the big idea is choosing a relationship is choosing a destination. So be wise and be aware. Would you guys join me with this? All right. Choosing a relationship is choosing a destination. Be wise and be aware. You probably know that some of the friends that you hung out with at times in your life, they took you in good ways or bad ways. They took you in a good direction or a bad one. And some of those things were you, some of them were them. And then some of those relationships began to grow distant. You stopped doing some of those negative things. Why? Because relationships are destinations that you choose. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we're going to go to that slide and read it again. It's a different part of Ecclesiastes 4, but I want you to notice something. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? I put this in just because of this past week, right? I mean, Shelly and I had 44 degree temperatures in our room. We were literally looking at our breath this week in our master bedroom. But how could one keep warm alone? I, that's what I kept quoting to her. I'm an incredible man of God. I was like, Shelly, come on over here, baby. How can one keep warm alone? It's scriptural. Anyway, Sorry. TMI, right? All right, so though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but then it goes on and it says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I use this passage of scripture in very many of the, of the marriage ceremonies that I use. I believe I used it in y'all's, as a matter of fact, and I think I might have used it in y'all's too. And the reason I do is because it is so valuable. It tells you that two of you together can be stronger than one. But that third element is the relationship with God. Now listen to me. If you're a single, if you're a a friend, if you're a person who can't talk about your spiritual life with someone in your life, you either need to cross that bridge or probably distance yourself from that relationship. Here's what I'm saying. If you're in this situation where you have that cord of three strands and God is there, but you never talk about him, he's there to you, but probably not to them, but you're never going to talk about him. Well, what's going on? That's not a relationship that is based on the destination that you as a Christian should be searching for and aiming for. If you're dating somebody and you haven't told them that God is important to you, I would just venture a guess and say that you're going in the wrong direction in that relationship. If you can't speak it and say it and bring it out of the darkness and into the light and bring it into the light of day and put God at the center of that relationship, can I just be honest with you? You're probably wasting your time. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be friends with somebody who is not a believer But you should keep that in order. And the closest, most important relationships that you make should always be with somebody who holds the values, draws on the source of strength that you draw on. If you can't do that, you are probably going to end up in a place where you look back and go, wow, I wasted two years dating somebody that I knew that I could never never marry. I've wasted this many years married to somebody that I knew I shouldn't be married to in the moment that I married them. Be very, very wise. I always tell people that will listen that outside of your relationship with Christ, the most important relationship that you will decide on is how you will choose to spend your life, the relationships that are a part of your life, most importantly marriage, but then on down from there. I would just tell you, I shared with you guys last week, I share it again just in case you missed it and just in case you thought it was a, a, an overstatement. I told you guys last week, I don't pretend to be something up here in this pulpit that I'm not. I don't pretend that my life is perfect because it's not. The truth of the matter is, is that I've told you last week and I'm telling you again this week that I don't believe that Shelly and I would still be married today had God not been involved and at the very center of our relationship. Now, that may be something that makes you go, oh, oh, I don't know if you'd say that out loud. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, two of us together, there are difficulties that we face that the Lord is the one that got us through. 
She knows I said it. She didn't say a word. She said, amen to me. This is the truth. I mean, the woman is a saint. She needs the Lord to get her through, right? And so there it is. If you are not careful, if you can't bring that cord of three strands into that relationship, you're probably wasting your time. Can I tell you something else? No matter how much they protest, you're probably wasting theirs as well. Here's what I would share with you why you might need this. You might be like, man, I've already made a decision. I've already chosen. I know who I married, and so this isn't for me. I'm going to check out mentally. Man, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Here are at least four reasons why. These are principles for your friendships, and you and I are supposed to be influencing our friends in our world. We all have children, whether that's natural or spiritual children. We also, many of us have grandkids. I don't have them yet. I'm not in a big hurry, but when it happens, I'm going to want to have God's wisdom to share with them. And I can only have God's wisdom if I'm listening and hearing from the Bible. People find themselves single again all the time. They never expected it. And there's all kinds of ways that that happens, but people find themselves single again. These are principles that you will need in that moment. And then this is true. Principles for solid relationships are absolutely universal. It's not just simply about a marriage decision. It is about every decision that you make whenever it comes to friendships. So very quickly, here's what, um, here's what Michael Todd said. I would just want to put this up. I encourage people to pay attention to patterns, not potential. All of us have potential to be better in our weak areas, but can we live with each other's patterns? In other words, the best way for you to know if a person is a man of God or a woman of God before you make that decision to go across and say, let's get married, they should already have shown you who they are. It's just you opening your eyes to see it. Because most of us, when we see that, we're like, but they have a good heart, (laughs) They, they, they've got all of these terrible things going on in their life that they've began, but they have a good heart. And I'm here to tell you that oftentimes that doesn't change. The vast majority of times that decision doesn't change. Or even if it does change, it usually changes when you're gone already and you endured the difficulties and then somebody else gained the benefits. Here's the truth. Look for patterns, not for potential. I know that that's hard to hear if you're single because the, 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 the thing that you're looking for is a good relationship and one that you can enjoy, maybe one that might turn into something. Here is the truth. Look for patterns because most people's patterns don't change that dramatically, especially if they're older in their life. All right, let's keep going. I want to talk about this very quickly. How many of you guys ever have visited the Houston airport in the last two, three years? You've visited there? Y'all know? Y'all been there, right? You can see there's Terminal A, Terminal B, Terminal C, Terminal D, Terminal E. Here's the problem. You think your plane shows up in Terminal B. You go there and they're like, man, you're not in the right terminal. You need to go to Terminal D. You're like, okay, what am I going to do? Fortunately, they've created a, a, a subway system. It's like this, basically, on the inside, And it takes you on this circuit from Terminal A, stops at B, stops at C, D, E, and then back to Terminal A. Now, if you're in the wrong terminal, figure out where you need to go, get on this shuttle, and then when you find the right spot, you know what you need to do? You need to get off and stay there. You don't need to keep riding the same terminal Shuttle, around and around and around and around again. If you find yourself having the same relationships over and over and over, and you're like, man, I thought he was a good guy, but he's a bad guy. Just like the guy before him that I thought was a good guy, but he turned out to be a bad guy. Just like the guy before him who I thought was a good guy, but turns out to be a bad guy. You've had three shots at it. The only thing that is the common denominator is you. So if you are not looking at it the right way, and if you're choosing bad relationships constantly, give somebody else a way to speak into your life and pour into your life and help you to find somebody who is going to take you to the right destination because relationships are choosing destinations 
And when you get on the right path, you stay on that path. If you're on the wrong path, guess what you need to do? You need to get off. For many of us, we keep relationships in our lives that are taking us down, down, down. And we think, well, eventually it's going to turn around. The best thing that we often can do is step back and say, this isn't actually going to take me where it needs to be. And can I just share something else with you? There ain't nothing in the world that says if somebody turns their life around and their patterns sustain for months and months and months and they're not pretending to be somebody, but they've actually showed the signs of God's change in their heart. Guess what you can do? Hey, notice that you've been posting about church a lot lately. Maybe we could connect for coffee sometime. Not that I know how to do that, Shelley. I'm just pretending. I'm pretending. Here's the quote about being single from Michael Todd. Here's what he says. It's so insightful. There's two, two slides here. Remember that in the beginning, God didn't make Adam and Eve's marriage. He made a single man first. It was only after Adam was working in the garden, enjoying contentment and fulfillment in God, that he introduced marriage and relationships. Now, the Bible doesn't say how long Adam was single. That's important. Before God gave him Eve. I think this was on purpose because if God had given us a timetable for how long we would be single, we'd all be more concerned with the countdown than the process. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, that's just the truth. And, and so everyone's season of singleness may not be the same amount of time, but it always has the same importance. It's so valuable to hear what Michael Todd is saying here. I'm, I'm going to keep moving here very quickly, but let me just share with you, there are things that you can work on in your life. For, for you and for me, if we find ourselves in a place where maybe we're separated from some of our friends or separated from some of our family or separated in a relationship situation, there's lots of things that you can choose to work on. And it's right here. I, I just get a quick list of the next slide here. Um, you can see that there's like a list. Get, engaged, get your finances in order. Grow in your spiritual life. Become less self-focused. Become a better friend. Get more disciplined in the area of, and I left it open. Because the truth of the matter is, is that maybe what God is doing is doing you a favor. You may be saying, what? How's he doing me a favor? Can, can you imagine the person that you are today versus the person that you're going to grow to become? The person that you are today might think somebody is a real catch. But the person that you're going to grow to become later, you realize there's so much that would be lacking in that relationship. You'd be willing to settle for it here, but here you know it won't bring you anything close to the potential and the things that you want to see done in your life. Now, is God doing you a favor by not bringing somebody into your life here so that you can grow to this point and then meet Mr. Wright? Then meet Mrs. Mrs. Wright. Do you understand? I hope you understand what I'm saying. Because the truth is, is that I know it's hard to be single. But the truth is, is that many times we have work that we can do and we should do. And those things get us to the place where God has things to bring into our lives. All right. Oh, man, it's just so much going on um, that I would love to share with you. But let me just, I tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to jump down to the greatest commandment, and I want to talk about how that fits in how we live our lives. Very quickly, if you know the story, as Jesus was approached by his enemies, he was asked the question. He said, one of the experts in the law tested him of the question, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in all of the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and some say all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. But then the second one is like it. Interesting, isn't it? That Jesus didn't just answer the question. He said, but don't talk about the greatest commandment without talking the second greatest commandment because it's important too. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is relationship. But do you know what it also is? Did you miss it? You might have missed it. It's also identity. Love your neighbor as what? You love yourself. For so many of us, we hate who we are so much that we have no room in our world to love someone else and definitely not love them in a healthy way. 
So I'm going to encourage you, understand there's nothing unholy about loving yourself, about being proud of who you are in Christ, about that identity that he has given you. And then taking that and letting that be the launching point for being a person who loves others rather than simply leaves it about himself or herself. It is so vital that we understand that. Now, here are some things that you can do to guide your relationships very quickly. How can you guide your relationships? Let's go one more, if you don't mind. You speak about it with them in the strong moments. You talk about it just outwardly. If you're a person who's wanting to be a guide to your grandkids, here's how you do it. You know what? I think it's really important for you to know how important you are to God. So when I say stuff, you might hear me talk about God. It's not because I don't love you. As a matter of fact, it's the absolute opposite. It's the exact opposite. I want you to know how much God loves you. And so I just want you to know that if I talk about it or if I share a verse of scripture, or if I text you, you know, you're 14 years old, you're going through hard things and I text that you are loved and that you are accepted and that you are valued. And I'm gonna text that to you, not because I have any reason other than just I wanna make sure that you know. So you speak about it and then it just seems normal. Or you can find and agree for somebody to hold you accountable in your relationships, making sure that you're doing the right things and going in the right destination and direction. Or then you believe in and act on the laws of chemistry. And I'm gonna talk a little bit further about that at the very end in just a moment. But here's the act of the, the law of chemistry, believe in and act on the law of chemistry. For most of us, we're desperately wanting and waiting for somebody else to change because when they change, everything in our relationship will change. When they become better, then we'll have a good relationship. When they forgive like they're supposed to, then we'll have a good relationship. When they grow to where they ought to grow and when they stop doing those things that drive me absolutely insane, then we will have a good relationship. It's all about them. Here is the problem for most of us, especially as we are married individuals. We stop growing. We stop growing. We stop becoming people who are interested in one another and interesting people to offer in that mix of who we are and how we fit, we've ceased to become interested or interesting. And then we wonder why our relationships are falling dull and lifeless. Part of it is because we allow ourselves to grow to be dull and lifeless people. No, we can't wait for them to change for the relationship to change. I believe that especially men, I'm telling you just straight out, I believe that God has called you and I to be the leaders in the home. And so if there's a, a relationship that needs to be repaired, I don't wait for somebody else to do it. I do it. Why? Because that's who God has called us to be. And so it's important that we say, well, I'll change the chemistry. I'll change the input. I'll change the narrative. I'll change the dynamic by doing this in some different way. If you need to reach your kids, that's your job, not theirs. If you need to reach your wife, it's your job, not, not theirs. Wives, if you want something to change in your relationship with your family or your friends, take the initiative and go and make those changes. It's important. Very quickly, here's how you apply this, and then we're going to keep moving. Here's how we apply it. You can see that you should be making progress in your own purpose, but you also should be pouring into and pulling others towards a better destination for their life. This is how you apply it. You reach out and you pull others towards better and you just keep feeding into the purpose of God. Now, I know what we tend to do. We tend to, as Christians, be really good at the vertical because God's not here to call us on our mess. Because God's not the one to keep saying, you forgot to do, you haven't changed, you didn't grow, you didn't do the things that you promised me that you would do. God's not like that. I mean, he can be, but most of the time he's not the physical voice in our ear. But so what we do is we say, I'm, I, I really just want to make sure that I'm getting on the right page with God. I really just want to do that right. And that's really the important part of my Christian walk. God's like, no, 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 no. It's not just here. It is here. Relationships according to God, the first four commandments are vertical. The next six are horizontal. <laughs> They're horizontal. 
Don't tell me that God doesn't care about your relationships with others because it is absolutely vital and absolutely important. So here's how I want to talk about changing the chemistry. Oh, I forgot. You guys got a kick out of this last week. Maybe some of y'all missed it. Don't skip leg day, bro. The hard stuff is getting out there and loving other people. Don't skip leg day, bro. Don't do it. Do the hard stuff. That's real Christian growth that you're talking about. When you do the hard things of loving the people who are hard to love, it's not the t-shirt muscles that you got, but it is the important stuff that you're doing. And very quickly, maybe you can identify with this. I want to show you a great picture. Look close. You can see five people next to a glacier. But do you notice that there are three phases of water in this picture? One is just the regular water at the bottom. And then in the middle, you see the ice. And then at the top, you see the water vapor. It's nothing changed except for the, the state of that water, right? And so what's the chemistry going on? You mix water with freezing temperatures. Houston, Texas, you know this over this last week, especially you know that this is what can put you into a place where everything's changed. Just a little bit of hot weather changes it back. A little bit of cold weather changes it, grinds it to a halt. It's all the same substance, the very thing that we need to survive. So what do you do? You just change the chemistry, just change the input, just change the elements, just a little bit. And you're amazed at how much of a difference you could make. As a person who's been married for a long time, as a person who's raised three daughters, I'm here to tell you that I believe that has helped me so much to just say, I'm responsible for the input. I'm not responsible to blame somebody else, but if there's a broken relationship, I'm responsible. I need to change the input and then watch the whole thing shift and change. A little bit of change makes dramatic differences if you are willing. And can I just remind you, that cord of three strands that is not easily broken is always there. God wants your relationships to flourish and thrive. That's how he built you. That's who he's brought into your life. Let it be something that God's a part of and let him use it to be a blessing to you and through you. God can do it, even when you don't think that you can. Lord, may we rely on you in all things. May we rest in your peace and your power. And may we be willing to become the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray.